farmers are treating this like a new crop and it's a new experience to them. But hemp was grown widely across Scotland since 1100 AD. It's only in the last 70 to 100 years where it disappeared. It's been sidelined in the agricultural catalogue. When I say cannabis, what, what comes to mind? No, it's a gateway drug for heroin, isn't it? Is it a gateway So I've been involved in the hemp sector now for 10 years. Great series, five varieties. Hemp, got here growing, Jamie? Certainly is, Carl. We couldn't have asked for better weather here today in Yorkshire. Hemp doesn't need fertilizer, it doesn't need pesticides, fungicides, because it outgrows the weeds and it also enriches the land. I had some health problems going on and quite frankly cannabis was the number one component that really helped me. The roots will break up the soil compaction, reduces flood risk, but also allows the soil to retain more moisture. This area of land, if this was trees that were being planted, it would take 25 years to remove the same amount of carbon as the hemp will do in one year cycle. My PhD project has been the first opportunity for us to grow hemp here on campus. What I've done is develop a laboratory method to test the cannabinoid and flavonoid content of these leaves throughout the growth of the plant so that we can understand what grows in the plant at what time of the growth cycle. We need research projects like this. And so what's the next steps? Hi, my name is Kyle Esplin and welcome to this documentary. I'm coming to you here from the Angus countryside where our farmers are once again growing hemp, cannabis sativa. But these changes haven't been brought to us by any government advice or from the regulators or the health authorities or food regulators. They've been driven by grassroots movements like ourselves, going out there and trying to make positive change. Well, I've genuinely been in, in and around cannabis for 34 years, and uh, not a lot of people can say that. I, I actually started off in drug enforcement, so in the late 80s I, I worked uh, as a surveillance officer when I was undercover, uh, mostly a Class A drugs, but I've seen, I've seen more cannabis than, than most people. And like a lot of people, I came to the other side of the plant and then the love and embrace of the plant through family tragedy. And... I, I suppose 15 years ago now, I realised that there was a lot more to cannabis than, than, uh, than the myths that, that surround it and prohibition. Cannabis, also known as hemp, is transforming agriculture and ecology across the UK. This wonder crop, thriving in these northern lands, matures in just three months, offering a plethora of benefits. This is farming that heals our planet. Hemp enriches the soil, boosts biodiversity and sequesters abundant CO2, all while using less water and chemicals. It's the hero crop for our farmers and researchers, pioneering a sustainable, healthier and more prosperous future. Join us in this journey, celebrating hemp's transformative power in our fields, our lives and our future. Back in 2021, Kyle Esplin invited his Member of Parliament in Glam, Scotland to visit a local hemp farm. So thanks to my, my MP, Dave Dugan, for coming and joining us today here at the hemp field. Dave's come out to learn about what's going on with our, our farmers. It's a great looking crop. So the, the difference in what's going on, these are deep green and they're well fed. Green like this, this is... This is pretty much like how it should be growing. Through it's healthy. Strong smell. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's all the same terpenes of the, the essential oils. Mm -hmm. It's the same as in the all varieties of cannabis. It's just been designed for seed production and low, mm -hmm. obviously low in the cycloactivity. It's a mature seed and the lower ones you get. So, so and these just get milled for oil? Yep, pressed for oil. And the, the protein cake that comes out the other end, that's also very beneficial. So... Farmers have been talking with the Norvite processing facility at Old Meldrum um, because they can handle like 40 tonnes. It's probably about 40 tonnes of hemp seed that's going to be produced from our farmers. But why Angus? Why do we choose Angus? Well, the fact is the Garden of Scotland. Yeah, yeah, well, just, I'm, just, I'm based here and I've done a lot of the work. It's quite a lot of it. And one farmer in Aberdeenshire had done one and they've been working throughout it and I got in discussion with them and 
Sarah, try and get more on board, get a group going. We're here with the Scottish Hemp Growers group today. Norvite, Grampian Growers got involved in the group uh, because we are an agricultural co-op and obviously this group here is a group of farmers all coming together to grow a product. We got involved to kind of facilitate and assist the group with any market opportunities so hence why we're here today at Norvite to have a look and see any processing capabilities they've got of the hemp. So what we do here is called salt pressing. So it's a mechanical extraction method. The majority of vegetable oil is used through a chemical extraction method, which is where the seed is broken or crushed, and then the material is boiled in hexane, and it drives out the oil from the matrix of the meal. But the oil has to be refined because it's no good for human consumption after that chemical. So it goes through a like, multi-stage refining process, bleaches and deodorizes it, and what it does at the same time is take out all of the natural antioxidants and polyphenols that an oil-containing plant or seed has naturally to preserve the oil. With refined oil, they usually have to add an artificial stabilizer to stop it going rancid. In cold-pressed oil, you don't need that because it's all of the natural flavor, polyphenols, antioxidants, all the good, all the nice things that impart taste or aroma are retained in the oil. The shelf life is like a minimum of 18 months. I don't really know very much about what you're doing, apart from it's growing hemp and there'll be seed and there's a possibility that we could be coming involved in crushing it. So it's been really good today coming up to see what Norvite do here. Uh, because we are actually farming in Angus and we grow barley mainly but it's our first year trying hemp it's particularly exciting for us because we, we're looking at other ways to de- decrease you know, our carbon use in farming and uh, the benefits of the hemp from that we have a lot of different animals on the farm and we try and educate people on farming and where their food comes from it's uh, really exciting to be part of the sort of early stages of the projects for, for hemp and growing it this year. So we're looking forward to see how it how it comes out and you know how harvest goes. You've seen the process today, Carl. What's your thoughts on the byproducts that comes off? Oh yeah, the, the, the byproduct for the, the animal feed is a big thing, and that's something that's not been used here at all. It, it's a really good feed for the animals. The, the nutritional content. Some people actually. I should believe in the human health cycle that we have been put at a disadvantage of hemp crops being taken out of the supply because they used to be fed to the, the cattle and everything more. And as they were growing wild and across the states and all this, they have wild ditch weeds growing across the states that the, the cattle feed on that all of what we know about the benefits of CBD oil and all these things, these do pass through, pass through the animals if they've been eating hemp. This vital meeting in early 2021 allowed local farmers to visit a local processing facility that could handle their crop and gave them an opportunity to get answers to their biggest questions. It's really the the processing facility for decortification and anything beyond that that step is, is what we require to stimulate the industry. So we're here now just north of Aberdeen. I'm here with uh, Graeme Warren. Graeme, your hemp fields are looking lovely. How did you get into farming hemp, Graeme? <laughs> Two pioneering farmers in Aberdeen wanted to share their experience growing hemp with Kyle and others to encourage this miraculous crop for other farmers to rotate in. We got involved with hemp production two years ago through a group of farmers who were interested in growing it. And just this year in the springtime, we've sown hemp and it is within 60 days is a the same height as me. Yeah, so you're, you're part of this farming group that's really reintroducing hemp to Scotland. It's yeah. like a, it's a hemp renaissance <laughs> after hemp disappearing for so many years, you know. There's a bit of a leap of faith. We, um, we've tried various different crops in the farm over the last couple of years and we were very interested to see if we could find something that was better for the environment and needed fewer inputs. And also to diversify the farm out of our normal barley cropping. We're still doing lots of barley and other crops like that, but good to try something slightly different, which is good for the soil, doesn't need lots of uh, pesticides and so on sprayed on it, um, and try to you know, work with other growers to find a new industry in Scotland. It's a total guinea pig scenario, and we want to see if we can get it to grow, and we want to make sure we can harvest it and get it in the, get it in the shed. And we basically have put it in the ground, and it grew amazingly fast. Yeah, and we're not an organic farm, but 
I would say it's grown organically because it's had no pesticides, no herbicides, or anything like that. It outcompeted the weeds in the first two, three weeks. Sure. It got going so fast and it, it outcompeted them by a long way. This is a really healthy looking crop, especially being this far north. And so for harvesting, do you have a specific plan of uh, how that's going to happen? Do you no. have the combine harvester in mind, which yeah. it's going to be? Or yeah. Well, it's going to be my combine harvester. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, yeah, I, you know, we've looked, we've, a number of the guys in the group have spoken about the combine thing a few bit, uh, and we've, you know, looked over the internet and see what other guys in other countries are doing, and we're pretty sure we can do it. We weren't terribly well prepared, if I'm honest, because we didn't know we didn't know if it would be ready to combine at all. We didn't know if it would get to that stage. So there was panic in September. We had to quickly rush around. Um, we surprisingly combined really well. Um, we did that. The first section uh, learned after the first couple of meters the settings we had to change pretty quickly in the combine, and after that we got through the rest of it really quickly. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll see? Other farmers seeing this as an alternative to oilseed rape, because we, we have a lot of oilseed rape up here in the north of Scotland. Be more farmers diversifying and putting hemp on their farms? I think so, yeah. I think um, a lot of farmers are certainly interested in it, and a lot of farmers are now alive to the environmental benefits of doing things differently on their farm. You know, it's good for their soil, it's good for the carbon footprint of their farm. Now that we've got a good group who are doing it this year, I, I can only see that snowballing. We're already speaking to lots of people that are interested in now trying to get a crop in the ground next year and joining with us, and uh, I think there's a real opportunity for working in a sort of cooperative way where we're sharing information, we're sharing resources and, uh, and we can have farmers who are growing a small quantity and then putting it into a bigger pool and, and really working together. By sharing their knowledge and working together, these pioneers have started a hemp revolution, paving the way for a green gold rush with a crop that can improve a farmer's soil while being profitable and carbon negative. We're just on the road here and they're going to have a catch-up call with the Norvite processing facility and see how they're going to help our farmers out, hopefully with some hemp seed oil processing. How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the road as usual. How's things? While on the road, Kyle has an exciting call with the Norvite seed processing facility and hemp farmer Graeme Warren. They discuss the market for their crop and how to best utilise their harvest, carving the path for others to follow. We're here at the Rowett Institute in Aberdeen. This is part of Aberdeen University and is funded by the Scottish Government. For the last few years, they've been researching hemp as a healthy and sustainable source of nutrition. I'm here today to meet with Professor Wendy Russell to talk about hemp for health and hear about all the research they've been doing. So the work we did on hemp was really around high protein crops. We were looking at a whole range of high protein crops, including hemp and buckwheat and pea and faba bean. And we looked at how they shaped up compared to meat as a protein source. And it was really interesting because I think of the crops we looked at, hemp and buckwheat were the most interesting. They, they had the really nice amino acid profile. They had a really good fatty acid profile, high in protein, high in fiber. But in order to understand what the benefits are to humans, we really have to run human intervention studies, and that's something that we do extensively at the Rowett. So it's really important that we consider uh, the, the, the gut aspects, because when we eat foods, obviously, we have uh, a gut microbiota that transforms these compounds into different compounds. And, you know, you and I might eat the same food, but we might transform it differently depending on which bacteria reside in our gut. At the Institute, we have a really extensive collection of gut microbes and we, we, we do a lot of microbiology to understand uh, people's habitual microbiology, so how they might transform foods, but also the compounds that are being produced. So in our human studies, we will look at the metabolites that are produced in the gut and then we can look at the benefits they would have on host health. The compounds that are in the buckwheat that we've seen now in a human study to reduce blood glucose in people with type 2 diabetes are also present in hemp. But what we found with hemp was hemp also reduced hunger in the volunteers when they ate it, which is quite an important thing, you know, if we can satiate people with, with a food, you know, it's really helpful to combat some of the issues that we have with obesity. But we also saw that the gut hormones associated with hunger were affected and modulated, as well as some markers of blood sugar. We know already that if people eat more hemp, it will benefit their health. So we are really trying to understand how people can make those swaps so I think it is trying to get people to enjoy the food they eat and to also make it affordable. So we need to, we need to produce the right types of foods. We need to work with the food producers. So I've been involved in the hemp sector now for 10 years. 
started off in very humble beginnings. Like many of the companies, we were doing CBD products primarily. And that really was a stepping stone for us to becoming a, what we class as a vertically integrated cannabis company. I had some health problems going on and quite frankly, cannabis was the number one component that really helped me address a lot of the issues that I had at the time. Coupled with food and nutrition, whole foods and really good quality nutrition. And that just led me to research things a bit more, eventually develop a company out of that. And since that time, it's grown arms and legs. There's been a lot of challenges, to be honest, in, in trying to get hemp into food. And when I say food prepared cooked dishes that people are typically used to eating, for vegans or vegetarians, you need protein as part of your diet. You use protein bases from hemp, tastes good as well as holding that nutritional value. Look at how people might make swaps in their life, where they might use hemp oil, hemp flour and hemp milk instead of some of the more unsustainable ingredients that we currently use. Hemp, much better for the environment. We can produce it here as an alternative, obviously, and in rotation, there's, uh, there's space for, for all the crops to be there. Um, yep. Hemp has been missing. Yeah. So people can make those swaps to a more plant-based diet, and I think if we can get hemp as one of those commodities, we really do have a chance of meeting our targets, our climate targets and our dietary targets. General food operations that want to look at the way they impact the planet around them should be considering hemp and I think from a Scottish perspective we've got everything here if we can really get the farming to support the, the kind of the local industry in the front end and the consumer side we could have businesses really utilising more parts of the plant especially in the food sector and reducing carbon footprint, making savings all the while boosting local economy. So, and sorry, you said they were currently allowed to harvest the seeds and the leaves. No, the seed and the stalk. Seed and oh, the stalk. seed and the, the stalk. Cover. That's it. So the, the leaf and the flower has to be left to degrade in the field. And what's the science behind that? However patchy or out of date it is, yeah. what is the science behind that regulation? Um, none. There's, there's no science behind that regulation. During World War II, the UK and US governments both urged farmers to cultivate hemp, a crucial crop for naval sails and ropes. Ironically, this call for hemp cultivation came after a significant shift in US policy, spearheaded by Harry Anslinger. The guy who was in charge of alcohol prohibition, once that was off, he, he went after the whole cannabis thing and hemp got lumped in with marijuana. Post-alcohol prohibition, Anslinger targeted cannabis, entwining hemp with marijuana through the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. It literally started from... The guy who'd been in charge of alcohol prohibition didn't have anything to do when that ended. Mm -hmm. Took it out on the Mexicans and the immigrants and the imports and the marijuana slang. Unbeknownst to many legislators, this act would severely restrict hemp production, a decision made under misleading pretenses by demonising marijuana, a slang word with no scientific basis, and then using that fear to ban all cannabis. The US congressmen didn't realise when they were banning marijuana, they didn't actually know that what they were voting for was going to outlaw industrial hemp. They didn't even really realise the details. Harry Anslinger's reach extended globally. As the first commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, he was instrumental in shaping international drug policy. His vehement anti-cannabis stance echoed in the stringent regulations of the UN Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs of 1961, reinforced the global stereotype of cannabis and hemp as a dangerous drug known as marijuana. It was really just a stigma to say that, uh, oh, well, it, it, just the look of it, you know, we're not having these flowers yeah, yeah, going yeah, anywhere it, else, it you does know. Have a, it does have a particular look. But, it, but it's it, obviously through the ingrained stigma. Anslinger's legacy has left a lasting imprint on how we view and regulate these plants around the world today. With World War II escalating, the US and UK both briefly promoted hemp cultivation. For to grow hemp legally, you must have a federal registration and tax stamp. A stance they swiftly reversed after the war, as hemp cultivation was again outlawed under the burgeoning war on drugs. They made it so difficult to get a license and so highly taxed. And then they, uh, they asked farmers to grow for the Second World War. And then after that, they pulled all the licenses, tied it in with the war on drugs, and it just disappeared. This abrupt policy flip-flop mirrored global trends where natural and abundant resources like hemp, less resource-intensive and far more environmentally sustainable than cotton or wood pulp for paper, faced harsh opposition from established industries. 
hemp, use of less water, better, stronger material, better for the environment. So that was competition for cotton producers. So there's like no, there's no one central conspiracy theory. It's just it's disruptive for a few businesses that vested interest has, for one reason or another, pushed it aside and tied it in with marijuana, cannabis, and here we are trying to trying to get out of that situation and uh, help the environment and food crops and everything else we should be doing with it. I was quite surprised that when I made this case to the crops officer about we should be growing more hemp yeah. for insulation, we'll need lots of it. And they were like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're saying we're going to need thousands of acres of hemp, how do we keep this from a road or like from anyone seeing this? And I'm like, really? Is this how we're going to go forward? Does it need to be behind a fence yeah. for the rest of the time, you know? And uh, the response was, well, you know, what would happen if a group of school children went past? What would they think? Said, well, why don't you just be honest, tell them the truth, and we yeah. can all move forward together. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't see, uh, I see, um, I see no problem with, you know, growing it by a roadside. The government says, that, oh no, there's like a pathway too close by, the application rejected. It's got to be out of sight from the public road, so although this is on a the farm track, it's off from, you couldn't have it in this one. If they were to put it in this field here, they'd need to do like a 100 meter wheat barrier or something like this to, to try and hide it. But to grow hemp, you have to make an application to yeah. the Drugs and Firearms Licensing yeah. Unit yeah. to get permission to yeah. grow hemp seeds. Yeah. So, uh, well, that was, that uh, it was a lengthy process, uh, to put it mildly. So we've got a situation at the moment where the FSA are encouraging people to make applications. And, and in those applications on this public list, we can see that it contains, you know, more than a milligram or more than a measurable amount of controlled cannabinoids. But at some point, the Home Office has to say, this is the level. This is a contaminant level. Why do I say contaminant? Go back to hemp farmers, we feed hemp to cam, cam, cattle. We know that there's hemp in the, in the food chain. And they, they draw that line. Below that, it's a food. The Food Standards Agency can deal with that. Above that, it's a narcotic, and it can't be a food. The big issue for the industry at the moment is pharmaceutical companies are trying to drive that line down as far as possible. I think the government would like to drive that line down as far as possible. CBD producers and the public would like that line to be further up. And until we have that, the race card starts. So you've got your, your ticket, and we could have a situation where they let everybody start running, and then six months, 12 months from now, whilst this race is running, that, sorry, you're out, <laughs> you're out, and it's just crazy. Yeah. And, and, and that's, for me, that's the biggest issue. It's really disappointing that some of them have fallen by the wayside because they either were unable to make very tight deadlines for a specific day that the application had to be in by, mm -hmm. or because their crop was deemed to be in uh, too visible a place. Um, which, given that you know, there's no there's no uh, special value really to the crop. It's not you know, it's it's got positive benefits, as I say, rather than any drug use or anything like that. In terms of the illicit uses for it. There's no psychoactive. There's no psychoactive at all. There's only the component to it is not there. Yeah, no, it's the same. Where CBD oils are on the high street, you know, it's the same. There's CBD and there's only some small, tiny trace amount that can't do any psychoactive effect. It's really disappointing that um, that the Home Office and the licensing regime doesn't allow you to put it in any field on your farm. So you can't choose the best field for cropping. You have to choose one that's tucked away, away from public thoroughfares and main roads, which just seems absolutely crazy. And, definitely holds the industry back I think at the moment. I can't see the problem, you might get a few guys slowing down their car wondering what's going on, but I think anybody would work out pretty quickly, of, you know, you could put a big sign at the end of your road if you yeah. wanted to say we're growing hemp. First in the process is to get it out of the home office and into DEFRA, because mm -hmm. at the moment the farmers have to apply to the drugs and firearms licensing unit between January and March, and if they miss the window, that's it. For example, we've James Hopkins, who's got a regenerative farm over there. He wants to grow hemp, and he just missed the window to get the license and the seeds in in time, so he's got to wait till next year. We had to order the seeds uh, a long time in advance of anybody having any licenses, so that was a bit of a gamble. So you, you have your license for, for growing hemp for a seed crop, for food use? So we do, and that's that our frustration that we can only use parts of the plant. At the moment, it seems crazy that uh, you can only you can grow a plant and then you have to just throw half of it back in the ground again. So you put all of that effort and time and money into getting the crop established and then you can't realise the benefits of the, of the whole crop. We need to allow our farmers to grow the crop 
and to be able to utilise the most valuable aspects of it. Because we can use the seeds um, for, you know, if we can press those for, for oil or we can use them as seeds or various other end uses, but the leaves and other parts of the plants we can't, we can't use and they just have to be chopped back into the field and destroyed on the farm. Um, whereas if we could process those in some way, I mean, there's, there's no... There's no drug use here because sure. it's not a high THC crop at all. Um, so there's not there's no risk there at all. But if we could take that, then it has potential CBD use as well. Um, and you have a, a whole plant benefit where you get lots of other parts of the plant that are, are, are useful in lots of other different health ways. Yeah, it just seems absolutely crazy at the moment that we're, we're just wasting that part of the plant and can't do anything at all with it. I think because it's a crop that's not been grown a lot, then there's a, you know, people haven't seen it. And as soon as it becomes every field or every other field then things will change you know yeah. um, people's uh, outlook will change on yeah, what, yeah. what it is my passion is in the science and, and the the discovery within the plant what I would like to see is that the government grows cannabis and the government scientists break down this incredible plant and they identify all those individual molecules and we know what works so we give somebody a medicine that doesn't make them high that allows them to drive machinery, that stops the tremors, that stops the spasticity, that stops their child being at risk of death, that stimulates the appetite, that makes the last few days of, of life better. That's what I'd like to see. And I see that, if we can convince the government to do that, there's a legitimate argument. Um, I'm trying to get caught up, caught up with paperwork, to be honest. The worst thing, um, that is full on, so... Um, Hi, I'm Louise Nicholl and we're farmers at Newton of Fotheringham outside Forfar. This is the first time we have grown hemp on the farm here and uh, delighted to get involved after Kyle Esplin actually gave us some information and invited us to join and look at growing hemp for the first time. We've not publicised anything about having the hemp. I'm kind of slightly nervous to do so. I wasn't sure legally if you were kind of allowed to. We'd have to find it first. <laughs> it was quite a good feel to have it in. It's all hidden. Marriage, you, wouldn't, you couldn't find it unless you were looking We've for it. We've got a neighbour that's been trying to hunt for it. He's saying, I'm trying to find your secret field. <laughs> <laughs> He's not found it yet. Inspired by Kyle's hemp initiatives, the Nicol family decided to incorporate hemp into their crop rotation. As stewards of this land for four generations, the Nichols are accustomed to blending tradition with innovation. Originally a dairy farm, their Newton Farm holidays and tours now focuses on mixed arable farming with beef, sheep and malting barley. They also offer tours sharing their deep farming heritage and innovative approaches with curious tourists and students alike. We also do farm tours. We have a lot of different animals on the farm and we try and educate people on farming and where their food comes from. The integration of hemp presented both opportunities and challenges. It symbolised progress, yet was fraught with uncertainties related to crop growth and market dynamics. We're really interested for bailing it up as well for animal feed, eh? I seriously thought there would be more grass the Nichols story, from dairy to diverse arable farming, and now to agritourism and hemp, reflects the evolving narrative of agriculture, encouraging others in the agricultural community to explore and adopt innovative practices like hemp cultivation, thus contributing to the larger story of green gold and its spread as a miraculous crop. I liken it to aspirin from the willow tree. Now we have still have people saying, take the willow tree, chew the bark, smoke the leaves, eat the sap. And now we get an aspirin, and it, you know, there's a 50 year evolution. And I think we're at the start of that evolution with cannabis. So what I found very quickly, Carl, was that it was a regulatory nightmare. The, the law was very slow to catch up, and the industry just pushed ahead. And we had recreational use in certain jurisdictions, we had that other jurisdictions with huge prohibition, education. Look, if we were sitting here talking about St. John's Walls or Ashwagandha or any of the other crazy ingredients that we've got coming around the world or that we've been taking for years, valerium, none of those would pass the regulatory challenges that we've got at the moment. 
So hemp contains hundreds of phytochemicals and you know, there are some that we, we know are anti-inflammatory and some that we've yet to identify the benefits, but we know for sure that a plant-based diet is healthy and we know that the phytochemicals are playing a strong role in preventing non-communicable diseases like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. The endocannabinoid system is a complex network within our bodies, crucial for maintaining health. Our body produces cannabinoids known as endocannabinoids, found even in human breast milk. THC, a well-known compound in cannabis, mimics endocannabinoids, affecting mood, memory, and perception. The closest endocannabinoid to THC is 2-AG, abundantly found in human breast milk. Intriguingly, the amount of 2-AG naturally occurring in healthy human breast milk, when scaled up to an adult's body weight, would be equivalent to a cannabis edible containing just over 100 milligrams of THC. This revelation, based on the study Oxalipins Endocannabinoids and Related Compounds in Human Milk by Wu et al., opens up new perspectives on the role of cannabinoids in human development. Research on cannabinoids in the milk of buffaloes passing through to children who drink it and a Jamaican study into women who used cannabis during pregnancy illuminate the societal and psychological impacts of cannabinoid consumption. The Jamaican study's neonatal behavioural assessments reveal that babies exposed to cannabis in utero displayed improved reflexes and stability. Dr. Robert Melamede, PhD, a researcher and intellectual maverick, also emphasises the significant roles of endocannabinoids like 2-AG in various stages of human development. Psychoactive cannabinoids are in mother's milk. First thing any mammal mother does, and mammals have mammal mammary glands because that's how they better take care of their children. So nature has selected for us to best take care of our children by the first thing we do when we get them out of us inside is to get them stoned. A groundbreaking study in 2022 explored microdoses of THC in treating Alzheimer's. An elderly patient's experience offers a profound insight. I used to feel forgetful but not once after the treatment. Sometimes I did not know where I was. It has not happened to me anymore. I used to find myself lost on the streets. I could not leave home unassisted. Today, I took the bus by myself to perform my clinical evaluation. Shortly after the beginning of the treatment, I already felt more alert and excited during daily activities, and I've noticed I've been sleeping much better. Industrial hemp can sequester 20 times more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere than the same size area of rainforest. Hi there, my name is Sam Cannon and we are at Beyond the Green at St Luke's during COP26, which is the United Nations Climate Change Summit here in Glasgow to showcase cannabis as a solution to combat climate change. This first ever hemp-focused COP Fringe Festival took place in Glasgow, aiming to showcase hemp's potential to benefit the planet. The initiative pledged to offset the entire carbon footprint of COP26 by planting enough hemp to ensure a climate-positive outcome from this and future COP summits. It is our duty to leave our planet healthy for our future generations. I mean, this is a duty of every parent in this room to leave a planet healthy for future generations, and hemp is a obvious part of that process. My name is Rebecca Shaman from the British Hemp Alliance, and we are calling on the government to remove the barriers of growth that are stopping the hemp industry from flourishing here in the UK. And so it is essential that we liberate that plant for our future generations in a way where they can clean up the planet once we've gone, because the cleanup of this planet is not going to be done in one generation, it's going to be done in quite a few generations. And whatever we're doing now, we're setting the precedence for them to go forward. Well, we're calling on the government is to recognise it as an agricultural crop and to remove the barriers of growth that are stopping this industry from flourishing. I've heard an email back from DEFRA today because they've specifically excluded hemp and cannabis from the farming innovation research grant that they've currently got a call going on now. They're annoyed. Their key goals, their key goals in this innovation farming uh, drive from DEFRA are decarbonisation, 
because it can sequester up to 20 times more atmospheric carbon than trees. How amazing is that? Right. I'll beg anyone to find me any crop that decarbonizes a crop rotation one there. Because you won't. It sequesters, as I've had to, 20 times more carbon than a rainforest in four months. There is no agricultural crop. You go in the UK that can come close to that. And oh, by the way, when hemp's in the ground, you don't go and spray it with tractors. It's in more emissions. You have more emissions in the ground. So you're decarbonizing the whole agricultural rotation and then you increase the following crop's yield. I'm Mike Barnes. I'm a neurologist and I do various things in the cannabis industry these days. I run the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society and I'm just passionate about the plant generally. When I was doing, seeing people with multiple sclerosis in the clinics, they were coming into the clinic in Newcastle and said to me, we take cannabis and it helps our pain and our muscle spasms, spasticity, it's, it's cool. And, all and I asked them informally, about 60 of them, could you take it? And they were honest with me and about 50% those people in Newcastle, in the NHS, multiple sclerosis clinic, said they were taking cannabis. I thought, well, there must be something to this. CBD is very popular, quite rightly now, the multi-million pound industry in this country. All the stuff you buy on the shelves is imported, and that's crazy. We need more acres under hemp in this country and more ability for those farmers to harvest the whole of the plant for all its reasons, including the flower for the CBD products, which are so beneficial for wellness issues and for medical issues. You've got a nature-based solution that is top of the tree. Why is that not getting further investigated? Hi, my name's Jamie Bartley. I'm the CEO of Unite Hemp, and we're here supporting Beyond the Green because we believe absolutely the governments globally need to be listening to how hemp is the solution to climate change that they need to be looking at. If we actually look, hemp for thousands of years was the solution that humanity needed. We used it for ropes, we used it for textiles, we used it for canvas, for all the sails, and for food. And then it's actually only the 100-year prohibition blip that we're living through that it's not been seen as the abundant resource that it has been for thousands of years before, and I'm sure it will be for thousands of years ahead. We just live in that little blip of 100 years in between where we've had hemp prohibition, unfortunately. Following crops of winter wheat or spring barley in our rotation trials, both increased by 16 to 18% in yield. <laughs> and that's because the biomass from the roots will break up the soil compaction. That increases the attenuation capacity of the soil, so reduces flood risk, but also allows the soil to retain more moisture and aeration. And also hemp's deep taproot brings up lots of micro and macronutrients from the deeper subsoils and makes them available for the following crops, which is why you get that increase naturally in the following crop yields. I think the big shift has actually come from the 2018 Farm Bill in the US when hemp was suddenly federally allowed to be cultivated again. And that's really allowed lots of different products to develop. The Hemp Road Trip, which was a film in the US, which many senators quoted as being influential in helping them to vote the U.S. Hemp Farm Bill. Good afternoon, my name is Rick Trojan. I'm with the Hemp Road Trip. We take this bus around across the U.S. talking about industrial hemp. So we're here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So we're here today at the capital of North Carolina in Raleigh. We're going to the Weekend Festival in Boston. Providence, Rhode Island. I'm talking about industrial hemp and telling people what it is and what it isn't. What's the difference between hemp and marijuana? Hemp? What's hemp? Hemp, like H- hemp. Hemp, H-E-M-P, like this. I don't think I know. Well, I don't want to go on that topic. I don't know either one about either one. And we're focusing on visiting with senators and legislators all across the country. From looking at it in the lab, I've seen this plant display characteristics that I have never seen in any other plant whatsoever. Its ability to morph its molecules into different formats that have astonishing, astonishing potential. So we've been intentionally lied to for the past 80 years. Another goal is to raise awareness of First Nations or Native American issues. We've been to Alex White Plume's farm in South Dakota, which got raided by the feds 10 years ago. And I know what drug dealers must feel like now. <laughs> the DEA came out of the woods with guns and not only destroyed their hemp, but took their, the first uh, eight inches of their topsoil away. To me, hemp is a real gentle plant. It's a beautiful plant. 
And I'm hoping that within 10 years there'll be no more plastic in the United States and that it all become from hemp. So. The DEA is governed by federal law. It can't make law on its own. Cannabis sativa, the plant, is not illegal. The Hemp Roadship is an education and advocacy campaign nationwide where we try to end federal prohibition of cannabis. The Hemp Road Trip. The Hemp Road Trip. Oh, we, we love the Hemp Road Trip. Hemp Road Trip. The Hemp Road Trip. Oh, Hemp Bus has been traveling all over the country. Up on the road trip. We set United Hemp up in 2018 and it's really focused on looking to decarbonize multiple different sectors at scale utilizing hemp as a bio-based feedstock. So we've undertaken three years of research cultivations ourselves growing 240 acres of different cultivars of hemp. Jamie Bartley, CEO of Unite Group, brings a diverse background ranging from managing ski resorts in the French Alps to construction work. He encountered hemp's power in soil restoration while working in contaminated land remediation and waste management. This experience led to the founding of Unite Group, alongside Craig Brown, focusing on the multifaceted applications of hemp, especially in the wake of rising environmental concerns. We're really looking to validate how much carbon is in the above-ground biomass for the different cultivars, and also in the soil, because a lot of the hemp's biomass is actually stored within the soil. So you get the root biomass, which has carbon sequestered into the root biomass, but then you also get the microbiological activity within the soil too, which increases the hemp's carbon sequestration potential. This, this is something that seems greatly overlooked. The carbon is required for the microbiological to have their space and for the, the ground to hold nutrients. All of these variables will actually impact on how much carbon that crop sequestered because if you've got a high volume of biomass but just in one straight stem, compared to a very bushy volume of biomass, you may actually have more carbon in the bushier cultivar than you have in the individual sure. stem of the longer cultivar. So that's really what this uh, research is about, is to try and make sure that we've got the accurate data around those specific variables on the different cultivars and also side by side by side plots so we get consistent data on consistent years with the same weather in the same locations on the same soil types and that's why we're doing this trial spread across four different locations around the UK but with the same genetics same cultivars that we're trying on each trial site and then again that same difference will be in the biomass in the soil too so the carbon that's getting sequestered into the soil will vary between the different cultivars as well. We've done lots of research looking at multiple end uses and trying to identify where we think the biggest impact can come from cultivating and utilising hemp. And for that, we've drilled down into construction materials initially because it's such a vast sector. It emits 40% of our carbon emissions in the UK and it needs a high volume of alternate materials if we're actually going to reduce those carbon emissions in a big way. But as you can see around this, hemp produces a huge amount of biomass so therefore we've got a natural source of fibre that we can utilise to make insulation or make hempcrete blocks at the scales we need to for our construction sectors. A groundbreaking 2023 study by Curtin University discovered that one square metre of hemp-based board has an impressive carbon footprint of minus six kilograms CO2 equivalent, establishing hemp as a significant environmental asset. And how simple is it to turn the crop into a construction material, into a building block? Because it is such a robust crop, you saw there how tough it is. It's the highest tensile strength natural fibre on the planet. That means that the equipment for every stage that we've just described there has to be very specialist, very robust. Otherwise, it's going to break all the time. So in principle, it's easy, but the equipment you need is very specialist to do it. This is something we hear reported of the, the farmers who jump into hemp enthusiastically and there's uh, various broken bits of equipment at the end of the season. But also the best way is to get hands on with it because once you you live and you breathe the crop and you understand how robust it is, you actually start thinking about different ways that you can process or optimise equipment. Hello and welcome to the beautiful hemp field in a secret part of Northern Ireland. Meet Varin Marshall, the visionary force behind Northern Ireland's hemp renaissance. His dynamic leadership is catapulting the region into a sustainable future, uniting pioneers in a quest for green gold. I actually started the Hemp Association back in 2019 with a small group of other interested individuals and farmers. 
We are a family business uh, based in Armagh for the past oh, so probably 80 years. My, I took over from when I was 21 and um, I've been here, I think, must be near 60 years at this stage. But I enjoy every day of it. Because we're primarily a grass-grown region in Northern Ireland, so what we had we was a livestock system based with slurries applied to, to land and then grow grass, harvest grass, grow grass, harvest grass. So it was this continual re- repetition of this process. But what is so special about hemp? Hemp doesn't need fertilizer, it doesn't need pesticides, fungicides, because it outgrows the weeds and it also enriches the land. No pesticides, no herbicides, or anything like that. It outcompeted the weeds in the first two, three weeks. This conversation about hemp started, I'm sure, about three, four years ago for us. And it started actually in Queen's Institute looking at soil health. So when we first looked at hemp, it was one of those crops that looked at soil bioremediation and making soil healthier fundamentally. So for me personally, it was one of these crops where we could put it in the ground, harvest it 120 days later, and the soil was healthier when we took it out than when we planted the crop. So that was a big win. Well, hemp... um it's the most interesting crop, I suppose, the most interesting crop that I have known because having a farming background, having grown up a small farm, um, we used to, whenever we were drawing animal feeding stuff from Belfast, we used hemp ropes and we sold hemp ropes and then we sold in our hardware store sisal ropes and then we sold nylon ropes. So that's the evolution of that. Big industry here, yeah. The rope works was a big industry in Northern Ireland. Years ago, I suppose, when we go back into the history of farming in agriculture, it was about crop rotation. It was about that rotation in the absence of having pesticides, herbicides and artificial fertilizers. Yeah. So we kind of moved away with that with the advent of the technology. And what we're recognizing now is that we need to move back because actually what our forefathers did was a better system of farming. We must leave a place at least as good as we got behind us, if not better. That's our challenge. Something that's going to be really important across farms has been able to balance carbon and carbon neutrality. And as a carbon sequester, it's a brilliant crop for us. Replace plastics and all of the synthetic clothes we're wearing. We here on this island will be called on more and more in the future to produce the food, all the food we can in whatever way we can. But we must always endeavour to be sustainable going forward. To, to be honest, this is a massive opportunity for everyone. It's a massive opportunity for farmers and growers. It's a massive opportunity for the community because it just makes sense for the environment, for the planet, for generation of jobs, new industry and business for the Department of Economy. If we were able to be so successful with our flax fibre, there is no reason why we shouldn't be as innovative today with our hemp fibre. So, so it's hugely important for that, but fundamentally we need everyone working together in this. So we need good connectivity and good interaction between UK and Ireland between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland that everyone's working to the same agenda because because of the opportunities that can be realised much quicker, much better, much faster if we all work together in this. Why is it not growing here? And every single farmer I meet says, I'll grow it. I, I met them this week. I will grow it. I just want to process and plant. My name is Jamila Namatha Donaldson, and I'm doing my PhD project here at Aberystwyth University. My PhD project has uh, been the first opportunity for the university to grow hemp here on campus. Viable, feasible, desirable, sustainable. It just needs to start getting organised. It's really such an incredible part to watch grow. So the legislation is not friendly at the moment um, at all. So a cosmetic compliance, a couple of thousand pounds, novel food duck, three and fifty thousand. Ridiculous. You're monopolizing the industry to a small group of people who can afford that license. And that is ridiculous because it's people's plan. As an early career researcher, as a young person, hemp, and cannabis offers so much potential, so many interesting topics. But on top of that, it's cleaning the soil as well. So if you had contaminated soil, you're gonna detoxify the soil um, and put nutrients back in within a year to two years. Stop clusters of firearms. So you're not allowed to move hemp around without a license. You can buy hemp seed oil legally in a shop and you can pick it up and you can walk home with it. 
but yet you've got a plant there that's been cut down and you can't move it where you want and stuff. So I think we need to just bring some common sense into that. Any data that's out there at the moment is very much comes from the law enforcement effort to treat hemp and cannabis as a drug. We have a lot of focus on just the leaves and the flowers as opposed to some of the compounds that could appear at different points of the growth that change in chemical composition of the plant as it grows. Education needs to be through the whole world. We educate the government, uh, doctors, institutions. Better understanding what is in the plant, how much of it, how it changes. It's really important also to help inform policy and regulations. Plus, once you've got the manufacturing in place here, you're going to be manufacturing anything out of hemp. So you're going to have an influx of entrepreneurs and small businesses that'll just go boom. Yeah, because you have so-and-so making the hemp sunglasses. I've identified 11 cannabinoids and one kind of flavoring in the plant material. And then from there, we're able to then work out how much is in our samples and then ultimately what would have been in the plant when it was growing at that time. Ianto and Jamila are yet more pioneers carving paths across the UK, a grassroots movement of researchers and innovators, entrepreneurs and experts in pursuit of harmony between ecology and the economy. What draws this diverse group together is they have each struck upon green gold in the form of this wondrous plant that has been part of human society for all of recorded history and beyond. Why use up the forests, which were centuries in the making, and the mines which required ages to lay down, if we can get the equivalent of forest and mineral products in the annual growth of the hemp fields? We also took data throughout the grove, uh, including samples of leaves. And what I've done is developed a laboratory method to test the cannabinoid and flavonoid content of these leaves throughout the growth of the plant so that we can understand what grows in the plant at what time of the growth cycle and how much of those compounds that we are finding in the plant. I did presume that Wales had a uh, Welsh Hemp Association of some sort. It hasn't. Which is quite shocking really considering that all the other home countries have. Processing some plants 20 million. In Canada, much funded 10 million from government, 10 million from farms. Okay. And how many processing plants do you need in Wales? I don't know. We might get away with five of them. You might need eight. Okay, so that's only 80 million layout to set the whole ball rolling for a new industry in Wales that'll just turn the country around within three years. I can't think of another crop for the farms that that, that, that would work, because sheep just doesn't bring that money in. Food bolt alone on its own can cater for yourself. But, you know, with a hemp, you can cater for 50,000 different applications and then you can sell a surplus. Right, now we're a poor country and we've been poor for a long, long time and it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. Okay, it, it's time now that Wales had its own money to sort our own infrastructure out. Hi, Mark. What is the biggest hindrance that you're seeing in the industry as a leading CBD company in the UK? Approximately 10% of the UK population consume CBD, and sadly we are still unable to work with UK farmers to grow and extract from hemp flowers. Yes, farmers can grow hemp, but the flowers must be destroyed after the harvest. In the EU, farmers are allowed to grow hemp containing up to 0.3% THC, whereas in the UK, farmers are limited to 0.2% THC. This THC limit is severely restricting. This means that every harvest, the farmers would run the risk of their crop going over the legal limit of 0.2% THC. If this happens, farmers are required to destroy their whole crop. And what are Button Tender doing going forward? 
Well, back in 2020, we actually started a campaign to support UK hemp farmers and basically encouraging more people to support farmers to grow hemp. And since then, we've actually set up a company called Bud and Tend Research directly focusing on hemp cultivar. And that's really essentially to develop a hemp plant that farmers can rely on being a commercial success as well as meeting the UK's kind of legislative landscape that means that they can actually grow a hemp cultivar that's suited to the UK climate but whilst also achieving carbon capture. We first started growing hemp in 2002. Uh, originally it set off as just another break crop. I'm doing a Nuffield scholarship researching hemp and how to develop hemp markets within the UK and its potential for UK farmers as a profitable and sustainable crop. It helps suppress problem weeds. It's a crop that can be grown year after year. It's self-tolerant, so we can grow four or five hemp in a row. Helps to get on top of problem weeds. It suited our land quite well. We, we could grow it and we, we carried on and gradually got rid of oilseed rape and borage and all the rest of the things we were growing. And we stuck with him. Well, we had 10 different farms in Angus and Aberdeenshire and you've run analysis exactly. on, the, on the 10 different crops. We have analysed all these crops, the Scottish farmer, and we've seen that we can produce a very good quality nutritional crop here in Scotland. So here you have 100 grams of, of hemp, hemp seed. This is a whole, whole grain. And we've seen that this will deliver half of your requirement when it comes to protein. It delivers half of the fibre. Fibre, when we measure it as non-starch polysaccharide, so it delivers around approximately 15 grams of fibre and also delivers a third up to a half amount of your fat in your daily diet and I want to mention the fat this crop is is a healthy fat we call that you know your omega-6 and omega-3 and more than that hemp has the ideal ratio for human nutrition so the the ratio between omega-6 and omega-3 is 3 to 1 which is ideal for us. And you know fascinating uh, you know the Scottish government and the Scottish people really went on board with this whole rapeseed oil thing. Now rapeseed oil is pretty minging you know <laughs> and it's not actually that good for you. You know, um, but because it's easy to grow and it looks pretty and, and they wanted a Scottish product oil, there's been this massive push for it, rapeseed oil. You can buy cold press rapeseed oil and organic rapeseed oil. But I'd much prefer having hemp oil, mm. you know, and it grows just as effectively, doesn't have as much damage as rapeseed does. Cannabis is one of the most reactive and adaptive species that I've ever studied. It's really a super plant. I've studied genetics and plant science for 15 years now. I find it quite, quite remarkable species, independent of any kind of bias that you may love or hate the plant. Just as a, just as a study, it's, it's fascinating. Until you start seeing customers come through that door, yeah. every, every day, every week, every month, they're coming back again and they're going, this really works. The reality is, is the, the, you know, the Cochrane idea of randomized control trials at the top and then everything else is below it. It's in the development of science, it's actually flipped the other way around. You know, randomized controlled trials are the pinnacle and the end product of decades of, oh, something's going on here, maybe we should investigate this. And as we had Professor Pertwee giving evidence at the Scottish Cross Party, he was very insistent that lack of RCTs should not prevent the use of this substance or the growing of this substance because the RCTs come at the very end, you know. And, and it, is about, it is about a narrative shift. Delving into hemp's past, we encounter a history marked by varying THC levels and evolving regulations. Notably, hemp seed oil once had THC concentrations as high as 1,500 parts per million, a level 200 times greater than the present EU standard of 7.5 ppm for hemp products. Similarly, back in the 1990s, the Italian hemp fibre strain Eletta Campania recorded THC levels of up to 2%, significantly higher than the current UK limit of 0.2% for hemp grown in the field. The narrative of hemp, as revealed through extensive research, underscores its often misunderstood and unfairly maligned nature. 
This calls for a more enlightened, science-driven approach to its regulation, one that truly reflects the plant's characteristics and potential. It is clearly up to us to push our legislators for removing barriers to hemp cultivation and use. We must challenge the rationale behind setting any cannabinoid limits on cannabis, arguing that such restrictions are arbitrary and not founded on solid scientific grounds. This historical data presents a stark contrast to contemporary regulations, which seem more influenced by shifting social and political views than by scientific findings. As we delve deeper and uncover hidden truths, it becomes imperative to re-evaluate our preconceived notions and realign them with the reality we discover. Embracing the adage that knowledge is power and power brings responsibility, this film not only equips you with accurate information but also entrusts you with a role in championing the cause for truth and the flourishing of nature-based solutions. Remember, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to remain inactive and silent. Like any garden or paradise, maintaining the balance and beauty of our world requires constant vigilance and unwavering dedication. For links to the people, institutions and research mentioned in this film, along with ways to get educated and active in your local region, please visit 